a man making his 150th start from pole position is going to take victory and for the first time in Formula One Carlos Sainz is victorious he wins the British Grand Prix so Hamilton has to now get his foot down to watch out for the undercut from Max Verstappen. Hamilton comes out. Is he ahead of Max Verstappen? No, he is not. Max Verstappen pulls the undercut on Lewis Hamilton. Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We're back again to review the British Grand Prix. And I am joined, as always, by my two brilliant co-hosts, Jesse Billington and Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both? Uh, dog tired it's been a busy weekend and uh, some of it was spent at silverstone so uh, smug face from me ellie may can you please wipe that smug face off no but i'm good thank you <laughs> well it was worth a shot and we are joined once again by our own italian stallion rebecca Busi. how are you hi everything is good uh sorry but I'm in a room. Uh, I'm recording a film about car, of course. So uh, we just finished and I'm going to dinner, but I couldn't make uh, uh, the podcast about uh, this uh, Grand Prix. So we always appreciate that level of dedication. <laughs> so we'll try and get straight into it, which we're not going to waste some time. We're just going to literally get straight into it, which... Where the heck do we start on this one? I mean, Sainz took his pole position for the first time in his racing career, 150 Grand Prix, does it at Silverstone. I mean, it's Ellie May's dream come true. Yeah, basically is my dream come true. Timo's very harsh on Sainz. I do it just to tease. <laughs> but, I mean, it was a long time coming. He finally did it and... No one's begrudging that. I think everyone's happy for him. Honestly, I think everyone was pretty happy overall with that. I mean, Rebecca, we had you on for Imola last time where we were very annoyed at ourselves for making you so disappointed for coming off of that race. But Ferrari pole position at Silverstone, what do you think? I think that the, the pole position was really worse for him. And finally, he got his moment because... Uh, as we saw, Carlos uh, uh, worked really hard for Ferrari this year, maybe because it was in, uh, in this position where the other teammates uh, was trying to, to be the champions and I, to, tra- the, to the champions. So I think it didn't want to stay in the second place that much. Also, I remember during the Grand Prix that um, he just said, like, don't let me do this thing, something like that. So I think he, he really wanted to be the first <laughs> and his first victory as well. So it's kind of exciting. And I think it's really worth for him. Yeah, I mean, if I, we keep on with what she was saying there, Jesse, it didn't seem that he wanted to play the team game a lot during the Grand Prix, which was understandable on the one hand because... Okay, he's had a bit of bad luck in some respects this season, but he still maybe is that game, that pole position on Saturday. He really wanted that win on Sunday and to prove that he can convert it and maybe try and claw back some hope of getting into the championship fight properly. Yeah, his he played the team game from the beginning. And I think early on there were some signs of the team game. Obviously, he sort of 
they did the proper swap positions quite nicely going into, I think it was Brooklyn's, they did it coming off the Wellington straight. He played the team game right up until the end point when he could see, and always seems to happen with Ferrari and strategy, he could see what Ferrari couldn't. And he knew that even if he gave Charles the space to warm up his tyres and get prepped for those final 10 laps, he was going to be eaten up by Perez and Hamilton behind. And then also Charles would get eaten up as well. And he said, look, we can either risk losing a 1-2 and ultimately get a sort of what would have been a 3-4 or one of us can run off and get this win and uh, I think he made the smarter move there of he gave Charles a bit of a chance but then he absolutely bolted and made the move he needed to and fair play to him he kept a perfectly level head and if anything it sounds like he'd listened to what we had to say about him after Canada where we were we were quite critical about his performance in the final few laps there about not being able to really make it count at the end of the race and he pulled it out of the bag at the when he needed to and proved that he had a drive and he disappeared up the road. He was nearly he was over five seconds clear at one point, which was quite impressive given the short duration he had to get that distance. So yeah, uh, to Carlos, sorry we were so critical in Canada. You do have it in I, 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 I stand by what we said there because anybody is harsh on us for being harsh sometimes, but I think we do that tough love and then the driver we're tough on then does well in the next race or two. So I think we need to be that harsh parent here, Jesse. Yeah, we might only get 67 listens, but 20 of those listens are all of F1 going, nah, here's what we need to do. We found what the secret is. But yeah, it's... um. Good on Carlos for getting getting that win down. But, uh, I mean, he wasn't the only outstanding performance over the weekend. There was quite a few outstanding performances. I was about to say, if he's going to get outshone by anyone, Eddie May, Latifi outqualified Bottas, Ricardo, Gasly and Vettel and has now overtaken the Hulk in the Drivers' Championship. Actually, I, I would like to ask you a question. Uh, for you, how is it important for Carlos to show that is? Uh, is talented how much Leclerc? Well, I think he has got the talent that Charles Leclerc has. I think people are just overly harsh on him because, what, he's now 11 points behind Charles Leclerc? And if you think maybe if he didn't have a DNF in Baku that wasn't his fault or that he got stuck in the gravel because Daniel Ricciardo clipped him in Imola, he would either be very, very close to Leclerc or a few points ahead. So I think people are kind of overly harsh on Carlos when actually he is, he could be pretty near Leclerc in the championship. Yeah, he could be a lot closer to Charles. I think as the season develops and now Carlos is bedded in a lot more, we'll see the two of them get a lot closer. We definitely saw Carlos outperforming Charles last season. Potentially Charles was just having a bit of a DOS season last year. But we saw a lot more of Carlos last year when he was in a, a style of chassis that he was more comfortable with. And I reckon post-summer break, we could even see a revitalised Carlos Sainz and that'll be the impressive thing. But going back I think to the... from what we saw, sorry, just one last thing on that one, with what we saw with Lewis, Sergio and Charles towards the end of the race, I was thinking if you'd had Max and George in there as well, and if Carlos was a little closer, you were we're seeing now from all of the drivers what they can kind of do and what we all know they're capable of. And that was the first time we properly saw those three teams properly duking it out with the midfield being very close there. So if we can get closer to that with all of them, and it's the two drivers from each team doing that, we could be in for some quite good racing coming soon. But yeah. let's forget as well that... 
Carlos would have won the Monaco Grand Prix if Albon had gotten out of the way quick enough. So someone hasn't forgiven Albon for that. Oh, <laughs> this is this is good. But I I also think that even if um, for Carlos was uh, uh, a good race and worth it and everything, if the Muretto, as in Italian we say. Um, I think that the Muretos, it means the, the team, the Chisian, were taken very, very badly and make uh, and put Leclerc in a very difficult position also for that, mm-hmm. the Chisian that they make. Because why you shouldn't make them him change the tires when you could? You know that everybody is going to do it. And then you know that you don't have uh, disadvantages about this. And yes, he lost for this reason. He very much did, actually. There was, especially given how on it Ferrari had been with their actual pit stops, they might not be able to get the strategy right when it actually comes to changing the tyres. Ferrari have been on it. They've got the new heavier tyres cracked on. And there was enough of a gap between Charles when the safety car was announced and Carlos for them to have double stacked without holding up Carlos or either driver losing position. So quite why they did it was weird that Charles and Carlos could see it, but Ferrari, with all the data and all the images in front of them, couldn't. And it's just, again, Ferrari's strategy. And at this point, Charles is already under um, sort of safety car speed, coming up to Stowe. So he's still got Stowe, the run out of Stowe down towards Vale to basically, for the team to decide whether or not they want to pit him. So it was weird they didn't do that. But yeah, just another weekend of weird Ferrari strategy, but I can't really call it a failure Ferrari strategy if they've got a win. So, uh, yeah, just Ferrari strategy, but it doesn't completely sort of blow their luck. Although someone yeah, that's, back to the team. that's probably probably it exactly what it was that make upset all the Italians because you know now we are in the Leclerc waves and it's something different. So, which is mean that. Uh, if he's not going to take the first place, everybody uh, keep the fall to the Moreto, and, which is not that good. But actually, you're right, because the strategy was uh, uh, pretty much correct. Uh, but, you know, we are fans. We won't see Leclerc as a winner. Yeah, well, I think it's just the last thing I'll say is this is equally frustrating now because of Ferrari finally having a car and two drivers more than capable of doing it, and then it's still the team letting down a bit. It's, it's that extra bit of, there's no good reason for it. But I will let Jesse, who's chomping with the bit to talk about Latifi, get on with it. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Ferrari not really having their sort of lap plans sort of sorted out, but Williams really had it nailed, actually, with Latifi's qualifying runs. They didn't quite have it set up with Albon's runs. They had a few too many cool-down laps. His tyres and brakes came off temperature. But with Latifi, they had the right plans in place and as we've seen before i think i've mentioned it on previous podcasts that williams is a weirdly specific car in the way that it works we saw it last year in spa that that car hooks up in the wet and flies and we've seen it again in slightly tricky conditions the williams comes good and it seemed to sort of pay off for Latifi. He had the right lap plan and he was able to extract what he needed to from that car. I don't know what it says about the upgrades they put on Albon's that he couldn't get it fired up. But yeah, a, a moment of Goatifi from, uh, from the I'm Canadian. I'm telling you, my, my one pound bet on him to win the championship, I'm, I'm, it's coming back. I still might get it. I 
I don't think it's... The faces I'm seeing here aren't agreeing with me, but I'll, I'll still believe for maybe another... Until Austria, when it goes... I'll have, to... I'll have to run some numbers to find out if it's statistically impossible, but I don't think... How many races have we got left? I don't know. We're not even halfway through the season yet. Not even halfway through the season, provided he wins every race. Let me, let me dream a little bit for like five minutes. It's not going to hurt you. Max is already on... Uh, do, 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 181 points. So all he all uh, if Max scores nothing and all rental the... reliability goes through the floor and, and Latifi every race from here on out, he might do it. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a it's a big ask, but who knows? The season's panning out quite well. But yeah, Latifi outqualified Bottas, Ricciardo, Gasly, and Vettel, and like we said, he's uh, scored high enough in a race, not necessarily scored, but finished high enough in a race to now outrank. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg in the championship. He is now 20th out of 20 drivers in the championship. So well done to Latifi there. Uh, but obviously, Williams car, Mercedes engine. Mercedes starting to look good. I would say, I mean, Ellie may will be happy because George didn't get too far in the race and she's mean like that. But at the same time, it would have been very interesting to see where George would have fit into this whole thing if he had managed to avoid the first corner incident. Um, but Lewis as well, I mean... It's Silverstone, he loves the place. It's ridiculous how good he does that. But he was just on fire. And, I mean, you saw the double overtake. I don't care that it didn't last <laughs> for very long. The double overtake on Perez and Leclerc was just... Um, and it's exactly what the kind of stuff we were hoping for with these new regulations and that kind of close racing, especially with Alonso and Norris just waiting in the background for anything to possibly go wrong there. And like you were saying, the Mercedes upgrades seem to have worked and it'll be interesting to see how they do in Austria and Budapest because, again, we saw it come good in uh, Spain and then it eased up a bit. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there now, but moving in the right direction, hopefully. Can I just clarify that I don't wish Russell to crash? (laughs) I'm not that mean. (laughs) But, yeah, like you said, I think... um, it's Mercedes like track circuits. They like Spain, kind of, kind of Canada, Silverstone, where it's the surface, the track, tracks. Over, the track tracks, rather than the street circuits. They don't like a street circuit. But yeah, also, please. the third point that we so- quite. I think that Mercedes have a very big jolly, which is, uh, of course, Russell, because for all the championships until now, and unfortunately this race, they made, uh, I think I, I support this decision to stop and check the condition of the other pilot because it's something that in the motorsport is really important uh, to like in the Dakar, I do too. And every time I see someone in a difficult place, I stop and I ask and, uh, you know, you, you care of the other pilots. So uh, it, it, take, it took a good decision, but it's very, very, um, how I can say, uh, with his points and position, is very... Uh, He's working really hard and he's trying to achieve the same position and to become better and better and better. And this is a big jolly for Mercedes this year because Luis had up and down, but at the same time, uh, Russell had a straight line, we can say. 
So the consistency has been there for Georgia, and it's we're going to maybe retreat that statistic like we did with Max Jesse. Um, until recently, he was winning every race that he was finishing in. So with Georgia's top five for every race he finishes. Yes, yeah, top five for every race he finishes. I did make the mistake of not long before the race started, I fired up my Sky Bet app and thought, ah, you know what? I've got a few pounds. I'll chuck them out. Um, and I put a pound on George Russell to score points at every race this season. And then he immediately gone. Immediately <laughs> scores no points this race. Although, yeah, commending, you've you got to commend him for the sort of proper chivalry and sportsmanship of getting out the car and going over to check Joe's okay. Because, of course, he was entangled in the same accident. It's, yeah, you can't fault him for that. It's annoying that he didn't get to follow through with the rest of his plan, which was get back to his car, start it up. He did try and start the car back up. They do have a little starter on them. They do have some electrical power so they can start up under their own steam on track for moments when they stall. But the car wasn't responding. He couldn't get it started up. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like it just fell away from him there. And it was a good plan. The best laid plans of mice and men sort of come tumbling down. But in this instance, I think he did the right thing. And uh, yeah, he ought to be commended for it at least. But it does mean that uh, after his first win, Carlos Sainz has now jumped him in the standings. 127 points leads 111 with Sainz over Russell. So uh, the fight in the championship still goes on. And of course, uh, Lewis coming home on the podium now closes the gap 111 to 93. I can say not just for personal satisfaction but for the championship as well it, we could do with Red Bull having some tough results because then it just closes everything up a bit more nicely and even if it then still turns out that Max still gets the championship we still want to see that fight we don't want someone to run away with it this year especially because of these new regulations promising to do the exact opposite of that so it, it's good that we get to see it closed up we just need a little bit more of that for the next few races. But some good news that we do have, and we can finally say it, Ellie Mae, Mick Schumacher in the points. Hurrah. Yeah, he had a pretty poor qualifying session, what qualified 19th. But then he sort of took advantage of that chaotic British Grand Prix. He was kind of on the edge of points positions, kind of in 10th, 11th throughout the whole race, and then took the gamble, pitted on softs with when the... Ocon calls a safety car and then worked his way up to eighth. And then he decided to battle with Max Verstappen, which In for a got, penny my, that. got my heart rate going because I was like, please do not mess this up, Mick. Like you're in the points. But he gave out a good, a good battle with Verstappen. He took it to the line and I was cheering at the tears, like, oh come on, it'd be so satisfying for you. Do it. He did, he did amazing and we got to then hear the lovely radio message from his, his mum and sister as well and I think everyone was just so happy for him. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's just it's been it's been too long. I mean there were so many after so many times this season where we were so close, it was it was just so damn satisfying. Yeah, something like 31 race entries or race starts for him to finally get points. It's nice to see it come through and again he drove the race he needed to to have earned points and he drove the race that he's driven previously that's seen him in points paying positions before something's gone wrong. So it's a case of the consistency is there for him and he's doing what he needs to do to get points. And yeah, it's nice to see that that's paid off for him. And also nice to see him get a proper battle on track, really throwing his weight around with yeah. with uh, Verstappen. And he was holding his own there, and which is quite good to see. He could 
really take the fight to it. So it's promising for if we see a bit more Haas development and the car sort of gets up into those positions regularly, we know he can really joust those points. The one thing I will say is that obviously one of his best friends on the grid is Esteban Ocon. And of course, Ocon caused that safety car. So if you want to spin a little conspiracy theory from here, all I'm saying is Ocon just sort of selected neutral, coasted to a halt in a place where he knew there'd have to be a recovery and uh, just sort of forewarned Mick about it. I don't know. It's not Crashgate, crash yeah. crash such a thing, because obviously Renault love a good Crashgate, <coughs> but uh, more of a retirement gate. Uh, let's call it that. But uh, Mick points, and we're happy for him. I say, talking of Renault, now Alpine, Rebecca, uh, McLaren versus Alpine, fourth for the constructors battle, but it's kind of Alonso and Norris leading that charge because in this race, in any way, because Ocon and Ricardo terrible races as well. Yeah, Ricardo is not in shape uh, um, at, at all, I think. Uh, but Norris, anyway, is I think is like uh, a snake is searching for his place and is always aware about the race and about how to, to arrive at the podium. But this year is really difficult for both of them. Actually, I don't know if Ricardo next year will be there with the other drivers. I think he's going to retire or something like that. But... Um, yeah, also, what I would like to speak about is about the crash and how crazy it was. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, was, it was very reminiscent. They, they didn't show it because of everything after Grosjean's accident. They got um, criticised for that, which was fair enough. But then, obviously, everyone watching that worries even more than they already were. Um, and in the end, not something we've ever really seen before. I mean, we've watched a lot of their form between us, I'd wager. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was weird that on the one hand, Albon had a higher speed crash than Joe did because of just the way it went. But again, it was kind of the halo did its job very well there. And anyone who was criticizing it before, they can't now. Yeah. yeah, I think I never saw a crash like that. It was quite crazy. And I couldn't expect that a car could react like that. And the, been through a way like that also uh also because wasn't half lap was in the first half of the lap first corner even didn't even get get halfway through a lap and it's already just chaos immediately i mean we thought last year half a lap before max got punted off and that was going to be you can't beat that and then joe just essentially went hold my beer he uh yeah very much said hold my sink heart beer and um on the first straight, before even the first turn, the crash had actually happened. This was obviously all triggered with Gasly moving around, moving through the grid. George getting a slow start on the hard compound tyres. Mercedes said that's purely what this crash comes down to. And yeah, again, it's a, a testament to the safety structure on the Alfa Romeo car. Obviously, there's a bit of a question about their um, rollover hoop design. They don't have a rollover hoop that extends into the top of the airbox. What they have is one called a fin style, which is the rollover hoop goes to the bottom of the airbox, and then a small metal fin rises up out the top. Um, just simply in the nature of this rollover, while the fin can take a direct impact perpendicular to the fin, as the car was tipped over, what it seems to have done was snapped the fin off. So the car was actually rolling on essentially a lower roll hoop point. And Ujo is quite lucky in the fact that he's relatively short in the fact that he stayed in sort of the safety zone between this sort of lower roll hoop and the top of the halo. 
But even then, the structure did its job and that car kept him safe to the point that he was wandering around the pits and the paddock at the end of the race, sort of shaking hands and saying hello to people again, which was uh, not something you'd expect to see, especially in a crash rather reminiscent of the 70s, where you see cars being sort of lifted through the air and thrown sort of across the track. Again, we're talking about cars that have huge energy around them when it comes to the air. And all of a sudden, when you invert that or it's not behaving in a way you expect it to, the car then does have an almost sail-like property and behaves quite badly once it's up in the air. And uh, it's a problem that obviously NASCAR have had previously. That's why you see if you watch a NASCAR, when it spins, you have these tiny little flaps on the roof that are pulled up into low-pressure zones that help keep it on the ground. And it's this is the first time in a while we've seen an F1 car turn turtle since Nico Hulkenberg in Abu Dhabi 2018. Yeah. I want to say. How do you remember that one? Lance Stroll was in Bahrain the same race as uh, yeah. yes, yeah. as well. I think it kind of begs the question of are gravel traps that safe? Because gravel traps do have that tendency to kind of launch a car up in the air. And I think the most similar one I can think of is I can't remember what race, and I know roughly the year, but was it Lucas Degrassi in about 2006? could have been i know formula one cars have a tendency at high speed to skip over gravel traps at the nurburgring once lewis hamilton had a big shunt in an f1 car coming out of the hairpin at the bottom climbing up the hill on essentially the run back to the pits he lost steering i think it was and basically as the car hit the gravel all it did was just pick up get airborne just skim its way and basically 120 mile an hour its way straight head on into some tech pro and yeah, it was a big shunt and uh, gravel does have that awkward thing of sort of sometimes skipping a car over it if the car hits it too fast. I mean, it's still a better option than the sausage curves, which I'm sure we'll get to with our F2 review and um, the ongoing dismay of Roy Nassani. But yeah, um, you've got to really hand it to Alfa Romeo's design team and obviously the FIA for mandating sort of these advances in car safety because we had two drivers today that had this been a different era of cars, certainly wouldn't have been walking away from those crashes in the way they did. On to slightly less sombre news there. Um, Max's issues. You wanted to have a quick word on that as well, Jesse, whilst you're on your roll. Yeah, while I'm on a bit of a spiel, um, this is actually something that my girlfriend pointed out to me while we've been watching the race. She said oh, it's sort of weird that he's got this damage. Do you think he's potentially gone over a piece of debris and it's got stuck under his car, like Bottas had 2020 Imola? And uh, she was correct, actually. You've never, and you've never been prouder of her. I'm, I'm always proud of her. and But uh, yeah, more so with this because, yeah, she, it turned out she was right. Everyone thought, um, the early calls thought that potentially one of the rear veins around the diffuser of Max's car had been broken. That was why he was losing downforce points. Turns out the problem was he'd actually picked up a piece of Alpha Towery that was uh, blocking the veins instead. And that was where he was losing his downforce and uh, did seem to really rear compromise him, which is why I think Mick was able to stay with him going into uh, coming out of a lot of the slow corners because uh, he just didn't have the downforce to stick with him. So it's a... Uh, Interesting little development there. So we'll move on to our winners and spinners section. We'll open up with our winners and I'll hand over to Timo because uh, I think he's going to be quite proud to talk about his winner. He's a big fan. Go on. Yeah, I mean, I know I predicted that he would win and I would have loved an Aubrey's podium, but you know what? 
I'm I'm not unhappy with that race. I'm not unhappy that he came third. I would have preferred the second place after that overtake, like I mentioned earlier, just because I thought after George's defence in Spain from Max and just continuously annoying him so much that I would be that would probably be my overtake of the season. But I think I now have a new contender for that one. And yeah, just it was just really nice to see him back, kind of fighting for it and the. He could have won that race. I mean, Ferrari were inviting it early on and it wasn't necessarily anything Lewis did wrong. It was Ferrari and Red Bull maybe waking up just in time to realise, oh, crikey, we have an issue here where he could actually do this. And we we forgot how good a driver he is because it's not been going too well for him this year. But it's it was great to see him back and forth. Two podiums in a row for Lewis now after Canada. And I'm going to say... I, not 100% sure off the top of my head, but I think Mercedes now been to the podium on half the races this year. Um, and for a team where they were saying how, for lack of a better phrase, piss poor their car is, that's not too shabby going. And it's going to be interesting to see what they can do from now on. I mean, as we were saying earlier, early May, they've got two, three track tracks coming up next, um, which should favour them more. So it's going to be, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. And I hope it's not business as usual as such for them because that's just what well, I'm not expecting them to suddenly surge back and win both championships even though it's more mathematically possible than the TV I still want to see them in there and kind of maximizing what they're doing in that third place of if Ferrari Red Bull are going to have any cock-ups they will be there and they will take that and will have no you don't need to invite them twice about it. I mean you saw that already with that overtake with uh, with Leclerc and Perez too busy dealing with each other. They didn't notice and Lewis just, I'll take that. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Um, but also feel like I've got to mention Alonso just because man was just there. And old dog, very new tricks. And he's ne- he was never going away. And again, you think something chaotic could have happened, extra chaotic. He could have won that Grand Prix. Yeah, he was... Alonso was right there. He was, again, on the pace through the weekend. It's something I'll touch on when we get round to our Austria preview because there's that pace in the Alpine and they've built a car that's very much a jack-of-all-trades and not necessarily a master of none. It's got pretty high stat ratings for everything else if we're going to use a video game reference. But the Alpine is there and Alonso and Ocon, to an extent, are good enough drivers to really be able to get the maximum from a car that seems to have a good talent in all conditions and on all circuits, which doesn't necessarily put them in the fight, but it does mean if any of those top six stumble, they're at a risk of someone from either Alpine or McLaren really punching up there. When I say from Which McLaren, is kind of what you want at the same time, because even though the regulations haven't worked out quite as well as we want them to yet, there is that um, kind of snowball effect there of if one of you makes a mistake, there is a hefty line of people that will be close enough to capitalise on that. I mean, what it means is we essentially have five teams scrapping out at the front end of the grid, which is quite good. And add in on their day, Haas are sometimes up there. Kevin Magnussen's getting pretty feisty. Bottas I mean, you saw that shot again. I'm not keep harping on about those overtake, but you had the Mercedes, the Red Bull, the Ferrari, the Alpine, and the McLaren all within like a stone's throw of each other, and it was like, oh yeah. It's all coming together. That's what we want. Yeah, this is the F1 fans want. And like I said, if on a circuit where they've got the setup right, you've got the Haas and the Alfa Romeo also there, you've pretty much got eight-tenths of the grid 
all sitting there vying for positions inside the points finishes on a regular basis. I think we we could all. It, did, it did very much remind me of the Indy 500 a few weeks ago because you just I see all these guys like, oh, he's there again, and then some of the top turns, oh, he's there again, and just keep going and keep going. It's like, yeah, this is this yeah. is what we want. We're going to come away from this season quite spoiled indeed, um, and yeah. It's. I, I feel from this race, I feel like you were with your betting, which is also related to who you your winner for this. Yeah. Again, obviously, we don't endorse betting. If you're going to gamble, gamble responsibly. I feel we ought to really put that in there. Again, stop. Stop. This, Take breaks. Yeah, Drink when, water. When, when the when the fun stops, stop. Uh, but oh, this is actually a note written by my girlfriend when we were watching the post race stuff. You saw us typically tapping away, and she grabbed my laptop to write this. Um, she said before the race started, "Oh, could you put five pound on Carlos Sainz to win for me?" And uh, Sure as eggs is eggs. She's now made £25. Pounds, um, so. Oh, so it's her money, not yours. You, well, you I put the £5 in it, but I now essentially owe her £20 pounds from my Skybet account. Yeah. You know what? She's my winner for this week, actually, because she might have to con 20 quid out of you. She didn't con 20 quid out of me. She's con 20 quid out of someone else who misplaced a bet on Skybet. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you. But, yeah, she got it from all my other bets that didn't come off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, my, my real winner though is uh, actually Perez because uh, brilliant recovery from the back of the field, uh, some weapons grade battling and defending through the final laps. Perez really likes a drive from the back of the field, and obviously, he had a pretty bad it's start. Bad yeah, he ha- had contact uh, with Charles going through the loop, going through sort of farm village loop, and lost. Which can we just appreciate what a fine piece of television that was? Basically, nearly four abreast in that corner. <laughs> It was good TV direction this weekend, which was really enjoyable. And it was a good race with good direction. And I, I think that really adds up to having had a good overall experience with it. But yeah, Perez's drive from the back, obviously, he pitted early just to swap the wing. He stayed out on the tyres because they were still pretty much fresh. There's no point in buggering up the tyre strategy at that point. And somehow he made his way back into it. Like one minute, so he was him back. coming second reminded me very much of Max in Russia last year when he somehow got to second. I just imagined them just looking at him, and going, shit, he's right there. How the hell are you here? You were way back. Just sort of, how, how did you get here? The safety car came at the right time for Paris because he had to pit again. So it meant to his tyre strategy. His, yeah, it meant that he could then pit in the safety car. And that's how he then came back out in fourth. So we kind of just skipped a load of drivers. Yeah. And yeah, just a great weekend for Perez. So in reality, despite obviously Carlos winning, great news for Carlos, but for me, Perez is my winner. Uh, unless you're my girlfriend, in which case Carlos very much is your winner because uh, she's 20 quid rich, richer. Kelly May, who is your winner for the British Grand Prix? Uh, I'll keep it short because we've already spoken about him, but Carlos signs. So yeah, I, th- I think it was one of those moments where everybody liked that because, okay, we would have maybe all had preferences, but at the same time, no one's mad that Carlos Sainz won the British Grand Prix. I mean, again, he deserves it. He made a couple of mistakes in the race, but again, overall, he was there and was able to call it when it mattered. And ultimately, you need to be there at the end when it actually, when the checker flag is there and he was. And... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's after a good few races where it's not quite gone to plan and after being on that second spot of podium so many times and then to do it at Silverstone of all places. I mean, again, it's, it's one of those things where if you're a British driver, it's extra special, but you feel like if you're any other driver, it's still special for Silverstone. There's just that extra extra bit of oomph about it. So. 
Silverstone still has that sort of oomph about it. And Carlos has said it is one of his favourite tracks. It is the sort of historic home of Formula One and obviously a milestone Grand Prix for him, 150 Grand Prix to sort of bundle it all up and do it in one hit, get his maiden pole, maiden win. It's not quite a Grand Slam. because well, well, every 14th uh, Ferrari driver to win a race if memory serves and 104th pole sitter in F1 history. And I think 112th Grand Prix winner in F1 history. Yeah, and something like uh, 130 or so races since the last Spaniard to win a Formula One race. I can't remember what the exact number is, but obviously last time was Fernando Alonso yeah, back in. There's only two of them, oh, he's now yeah. one of them. So. Yes, yeah. He's also the sixth driver ever with the word car in his name to have uh, not only got pole, but also win a race. So congratulations to him for that. Uh, Thinking of stats, I was trying to work this one out because this was Carlos's 150th race weekend. He started the same time as Max, and yeah. Max was on 150 last weekend, or the weekend before. Was it Russia that he didn't take place in when he had that bad accident a few years ago? Or that's the only thing I can think of, of why he hasn't, why he was on one less race weekend. Let me have a quick look. Let's, have, let's do a quick Google. You ask a lot of us, Ellie, mate. You ask a lot of us. <laughs> or was Max like a super... Lucas Degrassi, 2006. Carlos signed one free accident. Jesus, woman. What are you trying to do? It's Monday. He was alive. Um, da, 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 da. Thank God for editing. Belgian Grand Prix 2020 didn't start the race. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was when McLaren didn't start with uh, Sainz and then Lando conked out just as he rolled over the line to start the last lap. It's dying, it's dying. Ah, it's gone, it's broken. Yeah, that one, iconic scenes. Um, I did have something else to say about Carlos Sainz and I've forgotten what it was now. Going back to the point about six drivers with the name car or the word car in their name, if you know the other ones, um, yeah, answer us on a postcard. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter or TikTok now as well. So go find us in the comments section of TikTok and tell us the other six drivers to or the other five drivers rather to have one formula one race with car in their name so yeah worth getting that out there and it's got to be car it can't just be the letters that you just take somehow conveniently yeah it's got to fit in there like it does in car loss yeah well it's too much taskmaster i'm not letting any loopholes get in the way here you're doing this properly Yes, yeah. Uh, we'll move on to Rebecca's winner, although she's no longer here. She got in an Uber and lost signal. So um, she was walking across Rome at one point while she's actually recording. The Italian Wi Fi is known for being not the best. So. Known for being Italian, I think, is. Yes. Despite yeah. Marconi. Trying to be diplomatic, but never mind it. Yeah, despite Wi Fi essentially being invented by Marconi back in whatever year it was. But anyway. Let's not get into that because you'll go down your own loophole. Loophole? See, so you're already getting me distracted. Anyway, her winner is Leclerc, interestingly, um, which I think possibly just going down to the fact that his sportsmanship at the end, which he made the best of a bad situation and. Again, there was nothing he necessarily did wrong. I mean, again, when we were watching him um, and Lewis and Carlos, we were like, why are they only pitting? We can understand why Mercedes are only pitting Lewis because they can't control Charles. Um, but why are Ferrari not pitting the clerk at the same time? We've been over this earlier and it's just frustrating. So it's through no fault of his own. And he was obviously going to be annoyed about it, but he is 
he's mature enough to just be like, well, we will deal with this later away from the cameras. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that's the reasoning there. And I mean, fourth place is still not bad. And after what was it, what was an all right race from Canada, he's still gained points on the board. And we're saying about if you want to make sure that you can at least challenge for the championship, you need that consistency. And at least he's still scoring points. And he did outscore Max this weekend. So whilst the deficit is still there, it's shortened slightly. Canada, Max had 175 points. Charles was on 126. It's now 138 plays, 181. So the gap is smaller. and uh, But it's a, a smaller gap actually between Verstappen and Perez, obviously with Perez's podium as well. But yeah, it, I'll allow that. Winner for... Winner for um, Charles Leclerc, purely for... He needs a bit of good news, so we'll give him this. <laughs> we'll give him this. Although people who haven't been in our good books as such, our spinners... Facing our round. Yeah. Timo, quite literally spinners. Yeah, I mean, for God's sake, Yugi, you were doing so well this season. We were over this, and yet, I don't even know what he was trying to... I mean, I know what he was trying to do, he trying to overtake, but of all the places, like you've got a straight two corners away. Just do it there. You're close enough. DRS him. It's your teammate. Don't be a nincompoop. But but he was a nincompoop, Jesse. And I mean, Gasly as well. I mean, it wasn't... He's not... He's just not had a good time and it's still not there. And the team overall as a whole and you just think, they're both good drivers. We know what Pierre can do. He's won a Grand Prix for crying out loud. Yuki's pretty good. We've seen what he can do in F2 and he's been doing much better this year. Um, but as a unit and whatever going on behind the scenes in the team could not tell you. I don't know if they're actively trying to lose their seats to, so that they can help Red Bull with their vast amount of junior driver problems so that they can just get another two in there or what the deal is, but it's just an absolute bloody shamble. But they have started the new sport of synchronized driving, which they get 10 out of 10. At what cost, Ellie May? at what cost? They get 10 out of 10 for their synchronised spinning. Yeah, I mean, it did look quite good on camera. And there's there's a whole load of funny video edits of like, I'm spinning round or you spin me right round. Like you could you could have some fun with that in an editing suite later. It's, it's been a while since we've had those for the spinning right round. I think that was better before. So it's nice to see an updated version. I'm spinning like a ballerina. Yeah, that's it's there's there's plenty of scope for a few spinning gags there. But I mean, the problem is they're actually in quite a big points battle at the moment. Um also, in that sort of area points-wise, let's see, we've got Ricciardo 15 points, Magnussen 16 points, Vettel 15 points, Gasly 16 points, and then some just tailing a little bit is Sonoda on 11. There's a lot of drivers vying for positions around about this point in time, and or at this point in the rankings. And, I mean, what it means is that they're in a fight for the bottom of the top 10, really, separated only by a few points. Alonso has the edge. He's quite a few points up, but uh, Gasly leads at the moment on 11th place out of that sort of horde of people on small numbers. And something just doesn't seem to be working for them this season. It's it's annoying because AlphaTauri have shown a lot of promise previously. And at the moment, they just don't, don't seem to be capitalising on that promise. Which kind of segue, I guess. Ferrari strategists, lots of potential, but just not there for Jesse. Again, yeah, they've got the car this year. They've really got a good car under them. There's not a lot wrong with the Ferrari occasionally. They haven't quite got the setup right and it comes sort of quite rear dependent or it's sort of quite front heavy. But 
yeah, it seems to be their strategy that just seems to be letting them down. I don't know quite what's going on there. It's a little unnerving if they really get close in the championship fight and they throw it away in the last two, three races. I will not be a happy bunny. Um, but yeah, they could have done the double stack and they didn't. And as much as I'm happy for Carlos's win, it would have been good to see a Charles win really reinvigorate the championship fight, especially with Max so far down the order. It could have done wonders with the championship, but yeah, it's it is what it is. It do be I'm what it is. I'm just tickled myself with um, you know, there's that clip from that World War II film that gets used anytime anyone wanted to run, run to bat anything and it's hit during the war room. I just that's the same vibes you're giving me there, just like just moaning so much about this this thing because it shouldn't be an issue. Like, why is this a problem? Just every all these warrior strategists standing in front of you. I don't know why, sir. I'm very sorry. I'm very, very sorry. I'm going to make an edit of that. I'm going to try and find some time this week to make an edit of... I can't remember what that film's called, but I know exactly the one. I don't think I've, I've never seen the film, but I've seen that scene. I've seen the, times, the, yeah. Let's see. Hitler war rant meme. Let's see what comes there's, up. There's the cold sting for the British Grand Prix. <laughs> it's uh, Hitler's downfall parodies, according to Know Your Meme. It's from a 2004 German language film called Downfall. And but yeah, that's the one you're on. That's one you want to Google if you want to watch the film. Hopefully, not a title that's going to mirror Ferrari this year. Oh, god! <laughs> and on that bombshell, Ellie May, your spinner for this weekend, Williams. They Look Latifi. well, not in like Latifi sense, but more in the sense that they put all these upgrades on Alvin's car. They then didn't get a true representation of it in any free practice because of the wonderful Great British weather. Alvin then didn't get out of Q1, so we still didn't really see any true representation because of the rain. And then all those upgrades got smashed to pieces. Is that Williams' fault, though? I mean, aside from... Um, yeah, I mean, if anyone Albon for Q1, but can you put that on Williams? It's not Williams's fault, but it's more that it's so unfortunate for them that there's a cost cap this season. All their upgrades have gone down the drain. They're now going to have to remake them, which is going to cost more money, and they don't even know if they work. And then are they even going to have any upgrades in time for Austria? Are we then going to have to see it for Hungary? Luckily, it doesn't matter because Latifi can get to 12th place without any upgrades whatsoever. Just pure maple syrup. And he is there. 12 out of 15 drivers. Whose side are you on? I am on Latifi's side, but... You just call me out for being savage repeatedly and then you go and say stuff like this. I mean, honestly, we're double standards. I know. And I really, I really wanted Latifi to do well. And... I thought you were going to say Latifi to win, and I was like, yeah, me too. I would love him to win. Um, and he kind of he fell back due to no fault of his own. Abu Dhabi redemption. There's my prediction. Sorry to cut across you there, but there's my if, if this is his last season in F1, I want him to win Abu Dhabi for redemption for last year and just to go out on the ultimate high. That would be chaos. That'd be pure chaos. Anyway, speaking of pure chaos, we're now going to hear from potentially a guest who's not actually here. So uh, Rebecca's spinner. I'll do my best Italian accent, which is actually just me speaking normally because I'm no. not going to do that. <laughs> no, you're saving that for a later recording with a whole load of fun accents. Yes. Anyway, 
Daniel Ricardo is the spinner of the Grand Prix, which, to be honest, is pretty like self-explanatory. Again, it's 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 really tricky because this is one of those things where you've got to just ignore what your heart is saying and listen to your brain. Because yes, of course, we all love Daniel Ricardo. He's a lovely boy, and we very much all want to just go and live on his farm with him for a bit and just just shoot the breeze. But we might be doing that a lot sooner because he might be out of an F1 seat if he keep, keeps doing this kind of stuff. And it's it's curious because I know we've, we've talked so much about this, but it's the thing of, okay, new regulations, need to get used to the car again, but he's a very experienced driver. He's a Grand Prix winner. And it shouldn't take someone with his calibre until Monza, say, in a, in a season to get up to speed with the car and even then have some circumstances on your side where you need a bit of luck there because, okay, he was doing well in Monza last year, but that was helped a lot by Lewis and Max colliding. So, and then this year, I mean, when was the last time he got points? What, Danny? Yeah, because I don't want to say Australia. I think it was. I feel like it's Australia. (laughs) So, obviously, no points in Britain, no points in Canada, Azerbaijan. Oh, okay. Oh, of course, yes. Yes, Fernando did all right that day. Fair enough. But again, from the Daniel Ricciardo, we know it's it's very, and it's kind of awkward to say that because of Vettel doing well this weekend. But it's kind of what we're seeing from Vettel, and it's a driver where we expect so much more there. And at least with Aston Martin, you know it's because of the car. Um, but with Ricciardo, when you see Norris doing so well in the same machinery, okay, you've got some tweaks for setup and all the rest of it, but. It's, you shouldn't still be having these issues this far into it and you just do wonder what the hell is going on there because even either they know and they're just not telling us or they genuinely don't know either and it's a bit baffling that someone with his, who's been in the sport for what is it over a decade now and with Grand Prix wins behind him and all the rest of it is only capable of being 13th and I mean to, to counter your point from just now anyway yeah Latifi 12 out of 15 but he's still ahead of Ricardo. Who was 15th or 14th? Um, that is a good question. 14th or 15th and then... Either way, Latifi finished ahead of Ricardo. I'm just going to keep saying that. I did see how poorly Ricardo did and just thought, oh, everyone else will forget about it because it was such a chaotic race that we'll just forget about Ricardo doing so badly. But no, someone had to bring it up. We yeah. have a balance here on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so the essentially the bottom few drivers, obviously uh, Kevin Magnussen, last of the point scorers in 10th place. 11th place, Lance Stroll. Kind of a quiet race Don't for him. Uh, 12th place, as we mentioned, Nicholas Latifi. Absolute hero. A god-tiered one <laughs> from Nicholas Latifi. Uh, 13th place, Daniel Ricciardo. Um, half a second behind uh, Nicholas Latifi. Uh, then it's uh, Yuki Tsunoda, further eight seconds off of Danny Rick. Which, to be honest, is the bit that most surprised me because I didn't remember him finishing the Grand Prix. So. Yeah, I thought he might have retired as well, but he didn't uh, He didn't suffer as much damage. Uh, Gasly actually retired from uh, Sonoda-inflicted damage, but there we go. Talking of damage, predictions review, Jesse. I mean, I feel like I've not done well, but at the same time, this is the one Grand Prix where I just don't care. I'm just too happy with the race. Yeah, so, you so... know, do your worst. I will do my worst. Um, Points were scored this weekend. Unsurprisingly, Timo scored no points. Uh, Your prediction was Leclerc pole, 
Uh, Hamilton first, Russell second, Norris third, Verstappen fastest lap, and Williams double points. Uh, you needed both Williams to actually finish the race to have achieved that one. So uh, you, you were I needed out. a lot to happen to get any of that, to be honest. Yeah. That's not meant to sell words. If I'm going to do a self burn, I'll do it properly. So you scored no points there, although it is a point apiece for Ellie May and I, which uh, sees the ongoing battle for the two of us rage on as we both currently on through the season. I will tell you what we got correct. I got Hass in the points. Yes, you just said Hass get points and uh, Hass get double points, but I didn't double up your score. But uh, yeah, you, you got points for Hass there. And uh, I predicted Hamilton coming in third. So... Hang on, hang on. Are we doing? Are we doing it like that? I thought we'd have to have the whole podium before. Since when are we doing it? Oh, if one driver gets on the podium. But no. If you look at the spreadsheet you have access to, you'll see that oh, it goes like second, third, fastest lap, madcap prediction. You get a point for each of them. Every person has the chance to score. Was that one, two, three? I need to double check. I feel like I've been done out of some some points somewhere. But you know, nope. just... you have. You have six chances each week to score points. And, yeah, I was uh, saying previously, I feel like I've been outdone somewhere and someone's been sneaky about it. But, you know, we'll, we'll no, no, no. every week, even I've been, even been generous. If we go back as far as Spain, <laughs> you predicted Science or Alonso second or Alonso or Science third. And I wrote that in. You didn't get points for either of them because they didn't happen. But the fact is, I was very generous. And gave <laughs> so now is that you being generous? I gave you two chances. I gave you two extra chances to win points and you didn't. You should know with my predictions I'm going to need more than an extra helping of of, of chances there. I'm going to need at least 400% markups. You are a long way adrift at the moment. Ellie May and I are, I'm not going to say running away with it, but uh, we're both on eight points apiece. Uh, Ellie May, more impressively so, given the fact that she wasn't here for the first four races or something. She just wasn't part of the podcast. Um, then the guest, the amalgamous guest on six still, and Timo on five. Yeah. And I would have got another point if it wasn't for Hamilton going over the finish line and getting the fastest lap. And what really annoys me, is I was getting ready. Yeah, but I was so annoyed because I was getting ready to be like, oh, my psychic abilities were right. Because the only reasoning I gave for signs getting fastest lap was my psychic abilities told me. And I was getting ready to be like, ha, I am psychic. And then Hamilton ruined it for me. And I was quite sad, actually. I mean, the fact is... What it does mean is Ellie May is now on a third week of a point scoring streak. She, of course, scored points in Baku, points in Canada, and again, a point in Britain. So she's on a good streak, actually. She's the only person that's I, I, I think Ellie May should mirror Red Bull at uh, the Red Bull ring and just have an absolutely torrid time this weekend. Well, that- if you look at my predictions, then I'm relying heavily on. Red Bull. <laughs> we will get onto our Red Bull predictions in our Red Bull Ring Austrian Grand Prix preview episode, which is all still to come after Constructors Countdown. Williams remain 10th on just three points. Aston Martin and Haas swap places again, the American outfit now leading 20 points to 18. No change for the Alphas, Tauri in 7th, Romeo in 6th. Alpine closes the gap to McLaren, woking with just a lead of 6 points. Mercedes break into the 2-ton range on 208 points, and Ferrari close the gap to Red Bull, although the Milton Keynes team still leads on 328 points.
next up is our fantasy league review um well done to alex h for another top class result in the fantasy league second win of the season for alex uh, they've also been pretty consistent they've uh, not necessarily always won but they're currently leading the championship on 1997 points although i am coming I'll be to lucky if i get that many in the season <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you'll be lucky. Uh, I'm coming to get him. I'm currently tied in second place with Tejas, a friend of the podcast he was on in our old Drive Tribe days. Uh, Both of us are on 1,820 points. Timo, though, out of 21 entrants in the league, is still 19th and 21st. Um, Yeah, so I I have both... You had a better week this week, but you're still not doing very well. Um, Again, Elbon got me, so... But I have both my teams in the top 10, so uh, do better. Good for you. I wonder if I started the Fantasy League with you. With <laughs> I don't know. You should probably join it. I think you get all the points those drivers have accumulated when you just set up now. So you wouldn't be starting like halfway through the season expecting to catch well, up. That would be annoying. That's cheating. Yeah. I'll play it at the second to last race then. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's ballsy. Ballsy. And I, I'm not even mad. That's Mel, just clever. Jesse's malfunctioning on statistical probabilities as we're talking about that. I'm not even mad. That's just so clever. Anyway, speaking of stuff to genuinely get mad about, it's now time for the news. Um, so I feel we ought to squeeze these bits in this week while they are at least still relevant, and especially because certainly the first part is quite important again i feel it's something we ought to touch on and give proper gravitas to which was of course the nelson pk controversy uh it doesn't seem to be a week that goes by without there being some sort of major controversy in formula one and once again it's come up around racist language uh, aimed at lewis hamilton this time uh footage emerged from a podcast nelson pk recorded Oh yeah, there was homophobic abuse thrown in there as well for for good measure. Yeah, we all again for we good measure. Don't know what's right out of my mouth. <laughs> we condone use of both forms of language. I think that's besides the buy at this point. But um, yeah, Nelson Piquet was recorded on a podcast in Brazil at the tail end of last year using both homophobic and racist language towards Lewis Hamilton, which is something we condone. We don't. It's not fine. It's not okay. And, and Hamilton himself saying in an interview with with Channel Four with Steve Jones that. Um, He's questioning why some of the old statesmen are getting as much of a voice as they are. Because, I mean, you have, not when you are involved, I mean, you, the only one you see more most religiously is Jackie Stewart, but considering he's standing in his not use of racism or homophobic language, as far as we're aware, it's all right, because he's a pretty nice chap from what we've seen, but most of the other ones, they stay away from it a lot. Um, and again, he's saying that if we're trying to have more inclusivity and diversity and we're trying to promote more of that, why are we not bringing younger people through the ranks and giving them opportunities rather than giving the people who've already had their time a platform, especially when they're going to be having this kind of stuff to say. It's, there's no place for it. Like you're saying, it's good that F1 kind of banned him from the paddock for a bit. But again, there was, maybe I missed it, but there was no official statement as far as I saw on that where it was made perfectly clear they were condemning it, but it was kind of, you heard it on the grapevine that he's not going to be led into the paddock again anytime soon. And you kind of need more than that. Yeah, F1 yeah. weren't brilliantly clear around the matter. And but I know he's an honorary member of the BRDC, the British Racing Drivers Club, and the BRDC immediately sort of rescinded his honorary membership and said that he's no longer welcome at Silverstone. So I think a bit like Yuri Vips and Formula Two and High Tech, it's that weird thing of one group is saying 
now you cross the line, goodbye. And the other one's going, ah. and you're like, oh, come mm-hmm. on, just grow a spine. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that kind of a, it should, that, there shouldn't be that kind of disagreement at that sort of top level. It should be, okay, say in this instance, we're going to bin PK off, and but we will leave the door potentially open if you can meet these extra high criteria, but you've got to fill all these things out. You've got to show that it's not just all diversity. You've got to genuinely mean all the rest of it. There is a way back so that we can give you a second chance if we deem, it, deem you worthy of it. But at the same time, you need to be uniform on your decisions, what you're releasing in, in public statements. Yeah, there needs to be some uniformity across it and equally some proper action taken from it. This is one of the things that a lot of the drivers mentioned when they were asked about it in press conferences up and down the grid. They're saying, yeah, obviously the language is abhorrent and is unacceptable. And But equally, there needs to be something done about it. We can't just keep saying, oh, that's bad. And then it happens again. Mm-hmm. Everyone's gotten quite bored of saying that's bad and it happens again. Everyone wants there to be something that happens now. And obviously Lewis has various different sort of outlet schemes programs there's obviously the hamilton project i can't remember what the full title is for commission. it the hamilton commission yeah that's looking into opening up opportunities for people from various different backgrounds underprivileged and sort of underutilized backgrounds in formula one trying to bring people in to make it a more diverse paddock and at the same time you have for some reason a driver who's only linked to the grid is that his daughter is dating max verstappen sort of able to wander around spouting racist and hopefully it puts Max in a really awkward position because he came out with this awkward statement then which you feel like if he wasn't dating Kelly he would maybe have phrased differently but he's kind of stuck in this in between there if he needs to he doesn't need to please both sides but he's kind of damned if he doesn't damned if he doesn't and when you're an F1 driver competing for a championship at WM, this is the last thing you need to be on, on pressure wise you've already got enough going on so it just it muddies the waters completely unnecessarily yeah, he had a Verstappen's relationship with Kelly is probably we should keep, I know, kind of private. That is the kind of private side of his life, and that he shouldn't get any sort of hate for maybe sticking on the on the fence for this. I mean, he has kind of said that it's not okay, but then he did also say that it's the feeling of I feel like if you're gonna say something, go completely with it or just don't say anything at all. Maybe yeah. don't say half enough because then you're just going to piss off everyone. But as well, it shouldn't take Lewis Hamilton to have to start a commission or a charity or anything like that to get action. F1 should have been doing this years ago. Yeah, I think it again stems back to this sort of long-rooted issue that Formula One and various different sort of commissions and organisations are working towards. It's just annoying that every time something like this happens, we're reminded as to how slow that progress is and why there are so many other sort of teams and groups working together to do things. When we look at diversity across the board, I was reading a brilliant article on BBC Sport about Alpine and their new sort of commission working to bring sort of a huge breadth of sort of female talent into motorsport. Obviously, they have close ties with both APs in um, W Series. They've got Alice Powell and Abby Pulling. Alice Powell working as basically a talent scout and Abby Pulling practically one of their sort of junior <laughs> Yeah, they they are Alpine's work and their interview with, I think it was, what's it, um, Laurel something or other, is truly insightful and what he's said and what he's backed up with actions from his team genuinely shows that they're working to try and achieve something and there are people out there working to achieve things when it comes to equality, diversity, and making sure Formula One is a better holistic product and sporting environment to be in. 
and then it's just annoying that someone comes along and pisses on quite a good fire. And uh, yeah, I think we've made we've definitely sort of stamped over this point previously in the podcast with Yuri Vips, and just annoying we have to sort of almost a week later retread the same footpath and be bitter about it again. Yeah, it also showcases how I think we need more diversity within our races as well. Mm. Again, it kind of comes to that point that we need more races across the globe, not just it's very Eurocentric at the minute. So, I mean, we've said it before, but it, it, it's ridiculous that um, regardless of just now bickering over it, Africa should have at least one race. And it's kind of silly that if it wasn't for Brazil, South America would be completely ignored as well. And when you're having an international championship, it is a bit odd that you've got practically two continents, maybe even three, with, with Japan being the only one in that kind of area of the world that represents it. Um, but you're missing out so much. It's essentially Europe, America, and okay, we've gone to Australia. But that kind of, it almost feels like Australia is, because it's, it is its own thing anyway, so it doesn't feel like that's doing as, well, it's not representing as much necessarily as it would if it was in Africa or South America. Not taking anything away from Australia, but you see the point I'm trying to make there. Yeah, it, yeah, Australia does not represent Malaysia. It does not represent China. It it's, one, it's still one country, even if that country is bloody massive. Yeah, it doesn't represent the huge diversity of culture that exists essentially in the Northern Hemisphere, just above it, that Formula One hasn't raced at for a while. Obviously, we're going back to Japan this year and next year. We are hoping to return to China. It will give us a bit more diversity in where we race. But again, it's one of those things that it's got to be backed up and... Yeah, hopefully it'll improve, but uh, I mean, we can be glad that we don't have Bernie Eccleston still involved in Formula One. I was uh, wondering how you were going to get a segue in there, because I was desperately trying to think of how we could do a smooth one there, but you managed it. Yeah, I think at the moment we have to be quite fortunate in the fact that we're in a very modern age of Formula One. It's being handled not as well as potentially we like it to be, but I guarantee under Bernie Eccleston it wouldn't have been handled anywhere near as well. A man who on was it Good Morning Britain or one of the, the ITV? Yeah, Good, Good Morning Britain. Susanna Reid is getting all of the good stuff at the moment in terms of catching people out for things. Yeah, and it's now Bernie being Bernie. And I mean, it was, it's not surprising, but at the same time, it's just, it's, it, it was one of those where it's just, uh, when he does something, you can't say he doesn't go for it and do it properly. Yeah, I mean, I know the analytics of this podcast. I know that we have people listening to it in countries outside the UK, believe it or not, surprisingly big in different bits of America and um, Belgium. But anyway, for people listening in other countries, especially hello to our American and Belgian listeners, uh, Good Morning Britain is a sort of magazine breakfast Good Morning America or Good Morning Brussels. It's our equivalent. Yes. I'm assuming yeah. there's a Good Morning Brussels. There's got it. There probably is. Um and basically, magazine-style breakfast chat show with lots of different people on. For some reason, they had Bernie Eccleston on, and what ended up happening was he said he would jump in front of a bullet aimed at Vladimir Putin, and you could just hear the groan across Formula One Twitter. You could hear the shell casing drop. As everyone just went, oh, God, why did you say that? And obviously, it's no secret that Bernie Eccleston and his relationship with 
Russian political figures is the reason why we had a Russian Grand Prix appear on the calendar. He had long been hoping to race in the USSR, which is one of the reasons why we have the Hungarian Grand Prix, of all things, still on the calendar. Um, Also one of the reasons why we ended up going to Baku as well. Whole number of weird things still echo back to the Bernie days, but I mean, I think it's it's a good it it just actually if anything adds to the fact that it we should be glad we no longer have bernie eccleston steering this ship because it would be a whole lot worse so um if you aren't from the uk uh chuck bernie eccleston putin good morning britain into youtube and uh try and laugh at it because otherwise it's just frankly important but yeah there we go but before we finish off, we do have slightly nicer things to just say about because, you know, why not? You've, you've listened to us this long. What's an extra couple of minutes? Some very nice celebrities on offer at British Grand Prix. And I mean, I know we don't normally do this kind of thing. We made a bit of a pointy bit of it in Miami because it was just weird, I think was the general consensus we came away with there. But here we actually seem to have celebrities who know what the heck's going on and actually really appreciate F1 for F1. I mean, Keanu Reeves, he was with uh, Ross Braun because as it turns out, he's developing a film with him and Jensen, a documentary about the 2009 year, which, yes, please, take my money, go now, make it, I'll watch. Um, and had, a, had an interview with Martin Brundle and just seemed so damn passionate. And it was really nice. I mean, Keanu Reeves is a lovely bloke anyway from literally watch any interview with him. But it's nice to see that he wasn't just there for the sake of it. He genuinely was interested and was out on part of the pit wall, I think, at one stage during qualifying in the rain and just just loving life. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Miami was a red carpet event with a Formula One race chucked in for free, whereas Mm -hmm. Silverstone was a Formula One race that celebrities attended because they like Formula One. We obviously also had Tom Cruise, Damon Lewis. Damon Lewis has been an F1 fan for quite a while, actually. But it doesn't seem like a British Grand Prix almost if you don't see him on the grid walk at some point. You don't talk too much, but he's always there in the background. Yeah. It's nice it to seemed see. like he enjoyed quite a lot of the free beverages that had been going around. But uh, that besides, uh, Tom Cruise was there with his sort of weird upbeat Scientology atmosphere. He's always he's a big F1 fan. He was here last year when they'd been yeah. filming the big train jump stunt thing for the latest Mission Impossible film. So he's back again. Uh, also, Gordon Ramsay on the grid as well. Big motorsport fan Gordon is. Big car fan in general. He was at Goodwood a few weeks back uh, going up the hill in Aston Martin DB4 GT replica with uh, Tilly in the passenger seat. So my guy loves cars. And again, it reflected nicely in the um, in Martin's grid walk. It was People he spoke to were passionate about motorsport right up until the point that I spotted Nadine Doris on the grid and I just held my head in my hand for a brief moment. Because, again, it's strangely Anglo-centric for anyone who doesn't know British politics. Do we have to talk about her for this? Can we just not we have do, a nice Because time? I just want to get this rant out because it's so goddamn funny. Um, she is the... She thought she was at Wimbledon. She, she must have thought that it's weird that MotoGP bikes have four wheels these days. Um, because... Nadine Doris is not only my local MP, I deeply apologise for that, but um, she is also the Secretary for Sport, Culture, Art and Media, or a combination of those four things. Mm. Basically, (laughs) she should probably know what sport is. Uh, She was recently up at a rugby league fixture and uh, made reference to rugby union. Uh, said, I've always liked rugby. I thought that Johnny Wilkinson, whatever it was in 2003, was very impressive. To which a lot of rugby league fans, famously different sport to rugby union, went, you what, mate? 
And um, it's sort of been a bit of a re-echoing joke. She's not brilliantly popular on the political scene, as is for some rather heinous political views. Uh, She's also a terrible author. Her books are absolutely atrocious. There's a brilliant Twitter account that regularly posts smutty sections of her books, and it's uh, quite funny. But yeah, I'm going to circle this background before Jesse goes off on an even deeper run here and just say that the favourite bit of the Grand Prix, I'm, t- I'm going back to Tom Cruise slightly because he's involved in this, is the picture that we've all seen of Anthony Hamilton, Antonio Perez, which I was so glad I didn't because I was too, because they had to have such similar names, and Tom Cruise all looking so darn happy with each other, like they're old friends watching the podium celebration. And it's just the most beautiful picture. It was just a nice scene. How amazing would it have been if Tom Cruise was giving out the trophies and Tom Cruise I was hoping was giving he was out the trophy to Checo, F1's own Tom Cruise, that it would have blown up the whole of F1. Imagine that photograph. It would have been as iconic as Checo's dad rocking up at Pride in London on the Saturday, which in itself, top tier stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, you, you were saying, like my, my last point here on um, um, Martin with the drives on the grid walk. I was watching Channel 4, but again, with Tom Cruise there and a few of Cutland Stormzy as well, I think, that they talk to on the grid, who's there with Mercedes occasionally. But again, very big motorsport fan and very much appreciative of, of everything there. Um, <clears throat> obviously, last year, the British Grand Prix, um, DC and Mark and Steve Jones had a piece with Tom Cruise for Channel 4 as well. And he I mean, Tom Cruise does a lot of stuff, remembered, but remembered them all immediately, fist bumps, shaking hands, really friendly atmosphere. And again, it's just really nice to see that across both of them. It wasn't just because it's Martin Brunner, everyone kind of associates F1 grid walk with him now, but it's nice that that was kind of carried across as well to other platforms because they might not be as well known at this point, especially after some of the stuff that's happened with Martin on grid walk. So it's, again, good to see that. And for me... I watch Sky because I have to, because there's no other option a lot of the time. But with the British Grand Prix being live on Channel 4, I've got to say, it was so much nicer for me. And I just think Sky need to up the game a bit. And I, it was just so refreshing. I didn't have to listen to Crofty all weekend, Jesse. It was just yeah. beautiful. So mean. It was, I felt an inner peace. So mean. I do, he's, I do. He's, he's past his sell-by date. I'm saying it now. I like. He's probably a nice guy. I've got nothing against you, Crofty, if you're listening. But I think that don't you think he looks tired? I think that I need the competitor more regularly to get them to try and up their game. And uh, yeah, I think Crofty's he's shuffling quite fast into his um, his days of getting a lot of Murrayism sneaking into his commentary. But doesn't hit as well as Murray. At no. any point, it just with Murray, you kind of like, who's this lovely old gentleman? With Murray had a sort of get the damn thing right. Yeah, Murray <laughs> had an affability to it. With Crofty, it's ineptitude, and it's yeah, it's a, a weird thing. Uh, one other thing we've forgotten to mention completely. I know this is coming out literally an hour and fifteen minutes into the podcast. The, the protesters at the Grand Prix. We completely forgot to mention that as well. There was a uh, protesters uh, decided to try and run out onto the track. They basically ran out and wanted to do not a... Not very smart sport. protesters, are they? Not very smart protesters, because they picked the Wellington straight, which means that if you got hit by an F1 car doing 170 miles an hour, you'd very quickly become a thin vapour. But also, they did it as soon as there was a red flag, which means that the cars would be travelling slowly and would see them from a mile away. 
So yeah, there is some interesting um, notes up on racefans.com uh, where someone's transcribed all the two of the drivers' radio commentaries when they spot were told about the protesters, and there was sort of drivers are going, "There's people on the track. They're, there's they're not marshals. Why are there people on track? Are they fans? Oh, they're protesters. Oh, it's yeah, weird. But uh, if again, if you follow British protesting news, you'll recognise one of the blokes from being the guy who not only recently glued himself to a painting in the National Portrait Gallery, I think it was, he also bicycle locked himself to a goalpost at a football game, uh, climbed up into... A All stuff that famously there. makes change come about and doesn't just make you really annoying and everyone just decide, oh, sod off, mate. Yeah, he'd also previously glued himself to a road somewhere as well. So this guy's got a track record for being quite annoying. The worst part is that... Northamptonshire Police and Silverstone knew about this in advance. They gave them, they said, we can give you somewhere peaceful to protest near the circuit, so your voice is heard to all the people. They were like, nah. Well done. So, yeah. I've seen the whole Twitter war with Martin Brundle and uh, Gary Lineker as well, because Gary Lineker is basically... Those clients who don't see very often. Yeah. He kind of supported the protesters. And I haven't actually seen the tweets themselves, but what I've heard on the grapevine. Interestingly, Lewis also supported the protesters, but Mercedes also had to hurriedly follow it up with a comment saying, while we support their action and their uh, obviously desires for greater climate security, we don't believe running in front of a live Formula One circuit is the best way to protest that, nor is it a safe one because of the fact that it puts marshals and other people at risk as well. So, uh, yeah, weird one. But anyway, that was the British Grand Prix and our take on it. So uh, thank you very much if you made it all the way through this. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Timo, where can the people find you? Well, Jesse, that's a very nice question. On the curbs, as always, every week, lots of people to talk to. We've got a massive back catalogue for you to sink your teeth into if you want to get involved there. Also writing on Is It Fast, Paddock Protein to Cub Blondie, so there's plenty of variety in there as well. Lots of lovely stuff. Instagram is where you can find me, and tentatively, I'm not a fan of what I'm doing. I don't, I'm hating myself a little bit for it, but uh, under Eddie May's guidance, On The Curbs has gone into TikTok. Yeah. No, I'm not happy about it either. It's an experiment, but uh, that's that's a bombshell for you. Trying to think of what other social networks we could find you on. Um, Bebo? My space doesn't let me on anymore. Uh, Bebo. Have you still got a Bebo account? Is that the blue little toy? No. I. You're probably not even old enough to remember Bebo. <laughs> I feel like that's a good thing. And also, shut your face, Ellie May. Ellie May, of course. Where can the people find you? Uh, they can find me on our Instagram page with my key takeaways that will be out within the week and of course as we've already mentioned the tiktok account which is that's your baby to manage yes we have tiktok i finally persuaded them that we need it and so yeah go go see us on that we've at the minute got goodwood festival of speed on there and hopefully we'll have some f1 content on there at with jesse at silverstone and also hopefully you'll get to see our lovely faces soon as well. 
maybe you will um but if you want to see our faces before then obviously we're all over instagram as well uh you can find me over on instagram uh, at jesse on cars the same name as the youtube channel you've potentially found this on although you might have also found us on spotify or apple podcasts in which case welcome uh please leave us a rating a thumbs up uh, subscribe all the usual guff uh, and if you want more of me you can also find me writing for classic car weekly uh, where i write classic about classic cars and old stuff and uh, not this week's issue next week's issue i have an interview with jackie x coming out the uh, formula one and endurance racing legend so worth picking up just for that uh thank you very well oh, hang on team has got a point we missed one person because we were also joined by Rekabusi. So I feel like I should plug her stuff for her as she is not here. Find her on Instagram and TikTok and lots of awesome racing driver business over there from various rallies from this year and some secret school stuff that you will just have to go and find out for yourself when that comes about because it's all very interesting and very exciting. So yeah, that's that's my Rebecca Boosie plug. She's brilliant and hopefully first time we brought her on the podcast didn't go so well with Safari. Second time, bit better. If we bring her back for a third time later in the season, Fingers crossed, it is a clean sweep. Third time lucky, we'll have connectivity and a Ferrari win. We'll wait and see. But yeah, that wraps up our British Grand Prix review podcast. You can uh, tune in again pretty much straight after this, ideally, to uh, come to hear us chat about the feeder series action from the weekend. Or if you're not interested in that, keep your ears pinned for our Austrian Grand Prix preview. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.